0: Wait for it. Hey guys, welcome. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. This is California Haunts Radio, and I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have a par if you think you might have a paranormal issue, we can definitely get to you. It may take us a while. California is a big state, right? But uh, we can get to you. And if we can't get to you right away, I have mediums on staff. Who can't call you? And in most cases, they, they can calm stuff down for you before we get out there. Okay, just a word of warning. Um, I'm broadcasting on Facebook, YouTube, Tik TikTok, and and Twitch tonight. And uh, we got banned off TikTok the week before last with this with the same show right here. Uh, every week we I I read out of a paranormal theme book, and usually, you, sometimes the stories uh, aren't based on true stories. Sometimes they're based on true stories. This one, Ray No Evil, is based on a true story that happened to the author Michelle Zirkle, and uh, it, it's a great book. Except there's some parts that get kind of explicit in there, and I'm going to try and skip around, you know, skip around those explicit parts because I think that's what banned me on TikTok. And her, and in the book, her husband is also um, a police officer in the book, and uh, we got into talking about, you know, some of his cases while I was reading. And I think that might have got me in trouble too, because I know part of TikTok's uh, thing is safety, right? And so some of that was was talking about things that perhaps it shouldn't have been discussed. Okay, so when I get to the parts where it gets explicit, I'm going to say, you know, and they got together. And if I get to parts with the husband, you know, where it's stuff that I feel shouldn't be um, said over TikTok, I'm just going to say, and he did his job. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, um, I'll be sometimes I'll have to pause to look to make sure. You know, that I don't read over it, but I just want to make sure that it's a safe environment and that I don't assault anybody or anything like that. All, OK. And they're also Christians in the book. So they talk about different types of religions in this book. So please don't feel like, you know, you're, you're feeling offended or anything by by any of that. OK, because I, I really am not here to offend anybody. All right. Anyway, if you like what you hear today and. Uh, you know, you want to hear some more. Tap that, t- tap that screen over there on TikTok. Send me some love. Send me some hearts. And also, I'm going for a goal of 50. We'll see how we do. A uh, 50 hand hearts. If you could do that with the hand hearts, I would appreciate it. I'm here every Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, reading this book. And if it's not this book, it's another book, you know, because I have a lot of connections with writers and authors. So uh, please, too, tap those hand hearts. I'd really appreciate it. Okay, same thing over there at Facebook and YouTube. Because we're, like I said, we're, doing, we're multitasking today. Please hit those smiles and those thumbs up and all that other stuff. Because what happens is, even like with, with TikTok works the same way. There's an algorithm. And the more, you know, hearts you give us, the, the more love you show us, the higher we go up in the algorithms everywhere. And that means that more people will see the show. And that's what I'm going for. So I want to welcome everybody to TikTok. And just a word of warning, I do not have you set up on a laptop or anything like that. So I cannot really see the screen. You know the, the stuff coming up. I'm starting to rig something with a magnifying glass so I can see what you guys are saying, but it's difficult for me because I'm on my cell phone. All right. So this is this book is called Ray No Evil by Michelle Zirkle, and I can give you guys a quick update real quick as to what's going on. Um, it started out where she and her husband have problems, right? I mean, who who, who doesn't? Everybody has their issues, and but it got it took a turn for the worse when she was sitting in front of her bedroom mirror, and she saw a demon pop up what looked like was was on her on her literally on her body and so it it started from there and now they have mysterious water that that drips from the ceiling and drips from the floors and like 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 a little sun flushed the toilet and the water shot straight up into the air out of the toilet all right this is based on a true story i had her on my uh, regular talk show because california haunts radio is on six days a week uh sunday through yeah right sunday through friday And uh, she was one of my guests on the show and it's based on what happened to her. That's her paranormal stuff that happened to her. So she's very kindly has allowed us to do the book. So, okay. So please show me some love. If you, if you'd like this book, you like what you're hearing, tap that screen, tap that screen. I'm going to read for about an hour and uh, you know, relax. It's Sunday, right? You know, no one's doing anything on a Sunday. For some of you guys, it's Monday, but um, you know, sit on the couch, dim those lights, sit by the fire, put your feet up, put your slippers on, do whatever. Eat your dinner because it's, it's what the California time at six thirty, so just relax and, and and enjoy the book. And like I said, when I get the parts that I feel might be a little touchy, I'm going to I'm going to just skip over them so I don't get booted off off of TikTok again. Okay, but do remember to tap that screen. You know, show me some love, show me some hearts. I really appreciate it. The more you do, the the more I appreciate it. And if you can find it in your heart, you like what you, and you like what you see in here, please be sure to fo- to uh, follow me. I'm even doing subscriptions. I mean, we could do that too. We'll go that route. And uh, follow me and uh, send me some hand hearts. I I could use some hand hand hearts to start my month off. Okay. Same thing over at Facebook. If you haven't done so already and you like what you hear, please be sure to follow me. Um, YouTube, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. And here we go. Rain No Evil by Michelle Zirkle. We're at Chapter 13 of all things. Dangling Diane. OK, when I pull into the school parking lot Thursday morning, groups of students are holding each other and crying. A few girls dabbing their faces with tissues staggering in the building. The sidewalks are lined with counselors and, administ- and administrators forming a perimeter to the school's entrance. This is bad. Mom, what's going on? Ben asked. I scoop up my lunch bag. I don't know, but it can't be good. I shut my car door as, Mrs- as Mr. Feldman who's parked beside me, gets out of his and says, know what happened? I shrug and jog through the parking lot toward the school, passing Ben, who's already hooked up with Cole and Andy. Mr. Myers is standing by the front doors near Joanne, who has her arms wrapped around a girl, racked with sobs. Joanne nods nods me over. She rubs the girl's back and steps aside. Okay, this is where we're not going to read it, okay? Something bad happened to one of the kids in the school. We're just going to leave it. One of the, or maybe we just say that, you know, yeah, something bad has happened to one of the kids in school. We're just going to leave it at that. Not Diane. This can't be. I just talked to her. I say, Joanne hugs me and rubs my shoulders. I can't move my arms to hug her back. I want to. I want to cry. I want to scream. No, it's not fair. But I can't fall apart in front of the students. A heavy-set boy trotting up the walk, screams what I'm thinking: "No, no! Where is she?" Joanne intercepts him before he reaches the door, stepping in front of him and opening her arms as he buries as he buries his head in her chest, knocking her back a step. Michael, Joanne says, "I'm so sorry." Please tap that screen if you if you like what you hear. Michael's an eighth grader, Diane's half brother, but he doesn't live with her and must and must have found out about. Her death. We're going to say death. That's where I'm going to leave it. In a daze, I meander from student to student. Their tear-stained face is a blur, hugging anyone who opens their arms and whisper, I know, even though I don't know, a darn thing anymore. Memories of Diane flash through my mind like a PowerPoint. Last year, she'd pop into my room at lunch and chat. Sometimes I'd bring her a cupcake from home. Vanilla was her favorite. She'd bring me sketches from art class of her rendering of O'Keefe's flowers. The magnet one with a lily on it is hanging on my fridge at home, holding up a worthless schedule of some sort. What good's a schedule? Diane's gone. Maybe I could have prevented her or helped her. Oh, what am I kidding? I'm too absorbed in my own crumbling, scrambled mess of a life to help anyone. Wasn't too long ago, I was daydreaming about drowning my own cares in Ohio. Probably a bar, (laughs) okay. I seek you inside with a crowd of mourners to the commons, where teachers, a counselor from the elementary school, and a few ministers from local churches sit around tables talking with grief-stricken students, some of whom have gathered around a senior who's strumming his guitar to a country song. I scan the room for Joanne and Michael, but don't see them. Joanne probably has them in her office. From the crowded hall, Ben's eyes meet mine. He makes his way to me and hugs me. Sorry, Mom, he says. All I can do is nod. Since he was years younger than Diane, he didn't know her very well, but I am proud to have raised such a caring son. My cell vibrates. Alex is calling. Alex, I can never even ask him about any other work that, that he's done. I'll feel worse if I find out what happened anything to do with, 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 with his work. Stepping into the faculty room and restroom, I answer the call. Okay, this is where... I'm going to do some skipping around, you guys, okay? Savvy, he says, a rare tenderness in tone. I'm sure you've heard by now about Diane. Yes, I say, leaning against the wall, grungy with mildew. A neighbor boy found her. Okay, and uh, Alex did his job. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, I close my eyes. I just talked to her yesterday and she seemed fine. I just want to know what changed overnight that would, that, 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 that made this happen. I sit on the commode seat still wearing, I sit on the commode seat. I just have to get off my feet. Okay. Let's see. No, 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 no. Okay. I tell him to let me know if he gets more info about what happened. And I rejoin the grief counseling in the commons where, Parents cascade through, looking for their teenagers, for their own babies to hug. Throughout the morning, students roam from the cafeteria where snacks are set out to the commons, to the auditorium, to classrooms, just wherever they can find an open ear or soft shoulders to land next to. In the afternoon, Joanne and I reminisce about various students who passed away over the years. An elementary student, okay, we're not going to go there, All right, the girl was only in second grade, okay? What grief is a feeling of loss, no matter the circumstances. Then there's two other students. A country boy and uh, another teenage girl. Alex calls again. I take his call right at the cafeteria table. Savvy, thought you'd want to know that Diane's mom is in the hospital. Okay. All right, so he did his job, so we're going to go there. Okay. Okay. I can just picture Diane and how she was dressed. Okay, all right. I stammer a goodbye to Alex and a silent goodbye to, the, to Diane, who I couldn't save. Tears flood from my face. I wish I could have saved her, like I do the babies in my dreams, but I feel more helpless in my waking hours than I do in my sleep. I can't seem to regain control of my life. That's torpedoing toward the unknown and un- an unsustainable rate. Eventually, I have to crash. When the bell rings, I bolt out the school doors like a rodeo bull through an open gate. I step into the house, ready to let the demons shower me. It will remind me that I still have problems and that I still and that I'm still living. I have to believe there's a reason I'm still here. That there's a reason I didn't run put my car in the river with as much determination. I listened to the boys arguing over which video game to play. I just want to breathe and observe my imperfect world, just as it is. I drop my lunch bag onto the counter and imagine what it would feel like to stand here in total silence. No pounding of feet down the basement steps, no bickering boys, just silence. My days would be unbearable, for there would be no one to nurture except myself, and there would be no reason to be here in this dense world. I enjoy guiding my boys to make wise decisions, to choose right over wrong, even as I struggle to distinguish between the two perceptions myself. I'm not the best parent in the world, but even but even parents like me can love their kids. Ben and Isaac live royal lives. They have two parents who, they have two really great parents who love them and love each other even if that love is skewed by misunderstanding. Granted, Alex and I are both messing around and living a lie, but they don't know that. At least, I hope they don't. Rumors of Templeton cases have floated around for years. But till now, I've never considered that one of my boys could get wind of the scandalous information, and I pray they never do. The older they get, the more aware they are to circulating rumors. And the more apt they are to catch one that involves Alex or me or me being involved with someone on the side. I watch them tearing into, the, into their snacks and goading each other like brothers do. And I know one mission of mine is certain. I have to pioneer into the unknown territory of independence so that I can help them become independent too. Isaac, Ben, I say, motioning them near. I want you to know I love you both dearly. I can't explain everything that's going on here, but I'm going to figure it out. I have faith that there's a reason for it all. Keep tapping that screen if you like what you hear. And if you would like to send a hand, heart, let's try and get that gold one on the hand, hearts. I'd really appreciate it. But tap that screen. Isaac's eyes fall on the cookie jar, so I tip his chin up and draw his gaze to mine. You understand? I have faith that everything happens for a reason. And as long as we love each other, everything's going to be all right. As the doorbell rings, I coerce a few hugs and shoo the snackling lads to the basement. A few days ago, I'd have believed the insurance company specialist to be the cavalry, but now I know their efforts will be a waste of time. I answer the door with a smile. The first to enter is a six-foot-tall hulk of, of a guy wearing rubberized overalls who introduces himself as Greg, the specialist. Two men donning waterproof boots and jackets stream in <clears throat> behind him. Following me upstairs with clipboards and scribbling notes as I relate the sequence of events leading to their arrival. Greg lugs on the bag Greg Greg lugs on the back of his shoulder, his stone hard chest prominently displayed within the snug fitting overall. Pulling a wand from the bag, he extends the telescoping pole and taps the ceiling. Seems solid, Greg says. You say that's where it seems to be coming from? Are you sure there aren't any water pipes up there? I'm sure, I say. My father-in-law and a whole crew already checked it out. Can we go in the attic, Greg asks. I nod. Knock yourself out. Jeff, Greg says to his co-worker, grab a ladder. Greg follows me to Ben's room. Attic entrance is in here, I say, opening the closet door and transferring suitcases to the bed to make room for a ladder. It's really humid in here, says the third guy who's tagging along. If you think it's humid in here, you ought to see the living room, I say. It's been spraying down there a lot. Downstairs, Greg says. Yep, I say as Jeff struts in and scales the ladder. You mean water is leaking downstairs too, Jeff says, with his head in the attic. That's what she said, Greg says. Jeff, you go check out the attic and we'll check out downstairs. Greg and his buddy follow me to the living room, where I rub my hand across the wall. Water trails still water trail still visible from the previous splatters. Water shoots across the ceiling, I say bending my arm and swinging it forward as if I were casting a fishing pole. I know I'm futilely describing the, ineff- the ineffable, but I continue. That's why all my pictures are under there. I point to the dining room table where pictures of smiling family members peer through the droplets of moisture that I have clustered on the clear plastic tarp. My cherished Van Gogh knockoff of Starry Night is cowering behind the billowing cloud of plastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Greg, you ever seen anything like this in your life? His coworker worker asked. Greg skims his fingers over the steamy windows. No, man, I haven't. Jeff huffs in. No pipes up there, and it's dry. He says as he spots the object of our attention, the frosty windows. Man, it is damp in here, Greg. Let's see what it registers. Greg rummages through a statue like, like, like Mary Poppins, searching for the ideal item for the occasion, and pulls out a square electronic device. He places it on the damp living room wall pushes a button winces winks and winces and removes it Jeff and me and Jeff and me and guy number 3 exchange glances having a silent conversation of skepticism between us while the specialist shakes his, shakes the object and remounts it on the wall Greg still holding the device snug to the wall turns to us look at this we take turns peering over his shoulder a zero is displayed on the monitor no way, Jeff says, smacking guy number three who's massaging his jaw. What's zero mean? There's no moisture, I say. Greg clears his throat. Exactly. That there are absolutely no water molecules in this structure, in this specific room. And, well, that's impossible. Greg Greg slings his back, his bag over his shoulder. There must be something paranormal going on here. It's obviously damp in this place. I can't believe he actually just said paranormal. Jeff and his buddy are holding their silent conversation again, their gaze roves, roves from Greg to me, like they aren't sure how I'll react to such a novel a statement. You really think so, I say to my mesmerized audience? If you believe that kind of stuff, Greg says. I do, I say. I'm just surprised to hear you say it. Have you experienced supernatural events before? I lived in a house where the last public hanging took place in West Virginia, Greg says, looking at his speechless co-workers who must not know this either. Lots of freaky things happened there. Knocks in the walls, crashes like a, a doggone roof caved in. I was in the kitchen one afternoon, and forks from the counter flew across the room. That's when I decided to move. Wow, I say, laughing. think I'd move, too. As we walk through the kitchen, Greg says, I'm sorry I couldn't help. Oh, you helped, I say, smiling. I know I'm not insane. As soon as they leave, I grab my purse and yell down to the boys the Chili's in the crockpot <clears throat> Excuse me, and I'm going to the store. I forgot to pick up Alex's blood pressure medication, and I promised him I would. I'm in line at the grocery store's pharmacy when I feel a tap on my shoulder and turn to a curly-haired woman in her 50s. Her voice is low and raspy. Do you still have a ghost in your house? Excuse me, I say. Do I know? Oh, I'm sorry, she says, clasping her hand over mine. Ruth Ann Sayre, friends with your Aunt Claire. Oh, jeez. Alex must have told his aunt about my, my revelation. Our house ghost will be the hottest topic in Ridgeland. I can hear it now. Casper's taken up residence at the Templetons. I step closer to contain the story. Oh, Alex's aunt, Claire. So she told you about the spirit? Ruth Ann lowers her double chin to her, her blossoming bosom and announce, Yes, dear. My dad's a preacher who has ridden many of a place of evil spirits. Preacher, I forgot to call mine with everything going on and all. Well, I don't need your dad's help. I don't trust just any preacher. The sound of decaying truth that still fills my ears, lies from a preacher gone rogue, are too fresh even 22 years after the hypocritical past, pastor absconded away with, with my mom. I leaned in so close to Ruth Ruthann that I could smell the butterscotch candy on her breath and ask, so you think it could be evil? Honey, she says, pulling a hanky from her purse, only something evil is going to try to drive you crazy. You haven't got a ghost. You've got yourself a demon. My gaze darts down the aisle to a preoccupied group in line while I debate whether I should share my demon in the mirror experience with my newfound friend. Anything I can find in her will be pumped straight into Clara's auditory canal. I don't want the community thinking I'm crazy either. My kids have to grow up with these people, but if Aunt Claire already knows that I told Alex there's a spirit in the house, my chances for maintaining the illusion that I'm that I'm sane is that a frosty is surviving the greenhouse. I dive in close to the smell of butterscotch and relate my out-of-body experience. Ruth Ann's mouth gapes open; her floppy chin jiggling as she squeezes my forearm. forearm. last year I had a very real demon about dream about helping someone. I knew because they had a demon living in their dresser mirror. Is there a bathroom on the other side of your mirror? There's no way Ruthann could know that unless what she's telling me is true. I hadn't mentioned that mirror. I hadn't mentioned that the mirror was my dresser, and she's never been in my house, so she couldn't know the bathroom is right behind my mirror. Yes, I say. So Claire didn't tell you about me seeing the demon in my mirror? I figured Alex filled her in about that too. Goodness, no, child. Ruthann clears her throat. If I'd have known, I'd have definitely asked you for the details. You know, God's got a message in all of this for you. Do you have any idea what's happening to you? No, I stammer, noticing the pharmacy clerk is strumming her fingers. I advance to the counter and ask for prescri- Alex's prescription, and then turn to Ruth Ann, who's so close I step on her foot. Sorry, I say. No, dear. I'm the one who's sorry. I know it was you in that dream I had. And I remember the demon was very powerful. You had to put up an aggressive fight to make it leave. She lays her hand on my arm, but it did leave. Okay, but sorry, but it did leave. So don't give up. If you need me, just let me know. If I need a preacher, I'll get in touch, I say. Thanks for your support. Ruth Ann's return body swallows me in an embrace. I'll be praying for you, dear. Oh, and for that officer that was shot. Pete, was it? How's he doing? Yes, Pete. I see sliding my debit card through the payment device. His legs tore his legs messed up, but he was lucky. From what I understand, the gentleman was drunk, and his aim was off. Bet you worry about Alex a lot with him being an officer, she says. I grab my bag and walk off. Nope, God bless me. I don't get to worry, Jean. My dad was a cop. Oh that's right, of course. Cal was very respected, Ruth Ann says, waving. As I'm passing the store's furniture display, Alex calls, wanting to know what the insurance guy said. I tell him they didn't find the leak, committing or, or omitting their final verdict of paranormal activity. Alex says the guys must be worthless, and before hanging up, tells me his Aunt Claire wants me to call her. I collapse into a lawn chair on display. Good grief. I didn't have time for a lengthy conversation with Claire right now, but I know better than to ask him why Claire can't call me. Keegan's younger sister wants me to call her. She has to be in control. Claire answers with a refined, hello, Savannah, informing me I need to call an old friend of hers who's a priest in in, in Mudsock Heights. He has experience with this sort of issue, and the ghost needs to be removed expediently so that Alex can have some peace and quiet. Really? I'm thinking. What about my peace and quiet? But I say, oh, yes, we could all use some peace and quiet, especially Alex. I'll call the priest. What's his number? I scribble down the number and tell her I have to go, that I'm in the checkout line even though I'm already through and Elbert that I'm already through and sticking the key in my my car ignition. I'm sure I'm not sure if I'll call the priest, but I'm not telling her that. On the way home I stop at the beauty shop to pick up my clam shampoo. My stylist, Sarah, stops mid cut on her customer's hair when she spots me. Ten bucks says she knows about my ghost. If one if, if one wants to know the gossip in a small town like Ridgeland, either the totally fat fabricated kind or the tale that has splinters of truth running through it, the beauty shop or barber chair is a place to perch. Sarah skips over. Is it true your home is haunted? She seems enthralled by the idea, like a newborn is with her toes. I grin and shrug. Yep, I'm already tired of talking about it. Sarah plops her elbows onto the counter and looks at me intently. I know a lady about an hour north of here who cleans houses. Not like a maid. She cleans houses of unwanted energies and spirits. Sarah writes on the paper on the desk, rips it off, and hands it to me. Great! A house cleaner whose disinfectant strips away a whole lot than ger- a whole lot more than germs. Just what I need. Sarah must see the bewilderment on my face. Don't worry. She's a good Christian lady. I thank Sarah and stick the paper in my purse. I'm collecting numbers for priests and mediums now rather than adding to my special collection of men. Okay, I just want to think, to be by myself, and process the possible solutions presenting themselves. I'm driving to the riverfront levee with a warm caramel latte before I realize I forgot the dang shampoo I went to the beauty shop for, but I'm not going back. I'll just wash my hair with generic brand I buy the boys. Shiny hair is not going to matter if that demon gets inside me. It'll be disleveled like the possessed woman at church. I park and watch the glistening water glide by, wishing it would carry me downstream. South of Mississippi, maybe, with Tom Sawyer, the trickster with an ornery rage like me. I could float on a raft and fish all day. It'd be cool to hang with Tom, who always finagled himself into and out of mess just as aptly as I do. I've had three people suggest various remedies to get rid of a spirit in my house. I've got to try something, and I'm not involving Aunt Claire's priest friend. So I head across the river to Pastor Todd. I stroll into the church office where Tina, the secretary, is folding bulletins for the Sunday service. I probably won't attend. Tina notices my quivering hands. Hi, Savvy. Are you something wrong? Just need some help. I smile and smooth my hand over my stray hairs. Is Todd here? I really need to talk to him. He's on his way out of town. How to preside over a funeral. I hesitate to divulge the supernatural topic to Tina, but I'm desperate, and Tina's been a friend of the family for years. Besides, this is church. Church, where people believe in spirits. As a matter of factly, as possible as I say, I need Todd to get a spirit out of my house. Tina slowly looks up from the church bulletin. You need Todd to get a spirit? Did, did you say spirit out of your house? Yep, I sure did, I say, tugging on my shirt. I know it's probably not a common request, but I need Todd's help. Water is spraying inside our house from nowhere. I prayed, and God told me there's a demon in the house. Oh, Tina says, clicking on the end of her pen again and again, and staring at me like she's been asked to write a note in Russian. Could you just ask Todd to call me, please? I fake a laugh. I can explain it to him on the phone easier than you can on paper. Oh, sure, sure, dear. Tina's face relaxes. I will. I will definitely tell him you need help. I bet she will. She takes down my my cell number. Is that all? That's all? All? I have an evil spirit in my house, and the one person I thought might be just able to help me is out of town? No, that's not all. I want somewhere to cry, to pray for deliverance from this feeling of surreal desperation. I scurry to my car and drive across the brick streets into alleys, turning corners until I find myself in front of the church in downtown mudsaw Heights, where Dad and Mom fertilized Okay, my early indoctrinated years. The church where she fell in love with the man behind the the pulpit. Maybe not a practical refuge, but I'm here and maybe this is where God wants me to be. Back to where my doubt in him began when mom ran off with the anointed anointed one. Grabbing my purse and my latte that's no longer warm, I climb the steps to the ordinary brick building where weeds straddle the for sale sign in the front yard. Several ministers have attempted to lead a successful congregation here since Bob left, with the preacher. But the sight must be jinxed. No more doling out of salvation or threats of damnation here. Just an empty building full of memories. Memories of times when I kneeled with reverence and stood with the hope of a final resurrection that would whisk me to, to a heaven I couldn't see. My mind goes bobbing, down, goes bobbing down memory lane, squinting for a glimpse of that lifeboat of hope of that wholesome Holy Spirit that used to infuse me with victory. I want to feel that kind of faith again. I sit on the old concrete floor of the the covered church. I can almost hear the old songs rolling out the windows. Victory in Jesus, power in the blood. As I reflect on the hundreds of sermons I've heard behind these doors. Sermons of victory, sermons of power. Where is the power behind my words now? Why can't I make the demon in my house leave? Am I so evil that evil doesn't have to obey me? A demon was removed from a lady inside this building. And maybe there's one in me. I unwrinkle the paper Sarah gave me and call her version of the Ghost Whisperer. As I describe my quandary, the lady asks the name and age of the person the water first dripped on. I tell her it was my son Ben, who is 12. Puberty, she says, creates a hormonal imbalance that attracts the spirit world. She goes on to tell me that Ben's cancer, which is a water sign, and maybe that's why the spirit chose water as the antagonist. I didn't know that spirits could choose I didn't know that spirits could choose the medium they use to provoke humans. But I hadn't really thought about this before. I'm not telling this house cleaner lady that another reason could be that I was in the shower when I accused God of not being real. I may need her help, and if she's a Christian, she may take offense to my anger at God, but refuse to help me. She offers to clear my house for $100. Yikes. I ask her to explain the clearing process, and she says she calls on good spirits while burning sage to purify the space. Having a stranger inviting more unidentified spirits into my house seems as harrowing, as knowing a demon is already there. I'm not sure about this sage burning ceremony. Seems a tad like voodoo. I tell her I'll talk to my husband about it and get back with her, even though I had no intention of mentioning our conversation to Alex. I'd be, beside, I'd be beside Terry's mom being spoon-fed my dinner for sure. I'm not comfortable with the stage wielding exterminator who knows when Pastor Todd will call me, but I am desperate enough to call Claire's priest. Staring a hole through the door of the church, I picture my 12-year-old self in the sanctuary, hands folded, eyes closed, thanking God for giving me the victory the conniving preacher had so convincingly taught me that I had. If I really had victory, then I can get it again. And just because the preacher who reached me with the sermon eloped with my mom and broke Dad's heart, doesn't mean that the premise of his teachings were invalid, or that all the preachers are adult. All, all, all the preachers act like that. Sitting in the pew as a girl, I never expected to be here as an adult, calling a priest to exorcise my home. But I never expected to be someone's verbal punching bag either. Never expected to be angry with with the God. Who created me never expected to feel worthless. The priest answering machine kicks on, and I leave a vague message saying Aunt Claire believes he can help me with something. I barely swallow the last drop of liquid caffeine when he returns my call. Please tap that screen. Please tap that screen. Show me some love if you like. If you like what I'm reading, please please tap that screen. This is a uh, a book based on a true uh, demonic haunting. Hello, Mrs. Templeton, he says. It's Father Nick. I was upstairs, and the old knees aren't cooperating this morning. How can I help you? Words trickle out as I attempt to find a casual, yet accurate way to describe my my odd predicament to this man on the phone. I've never even met. I asked him if he's ever prayed, prayed a spirit out of a house. A demon has been spraying water inside my house for a week now, and I'm calling because plumbers and repairmen can't help us. Father Nick cautions me not to jump to conclusions about demons. Often it is simply a restless spirit that needs to be directed toward the light. Then he says, a few years ago, a young couple who had just moved into an old house kept hearing a baby cry inside the walls. I blessed the house and directed the baby's soul to move toward the light. They never heard the crying again. We should bless your house. How do you feel about that? Anything you want to do is fine with me. You're the expert. Okay, he says. I have a wedding tomorrow and a full Sunday, but Monday I can come. Nope, that's par nope, that's parish council meeting out of town. Okay, how's Tuesday? I agree. Next week is perfect because we're out of school <clears throat> for a mini break. Although I would meet him in the I would meet him this moment with no makeup and even less sleep, if he could come right now. As I head home, I called Dad with the news. I'll be there, honey. A few more prayers to remove Casper surely can't hurt, Dad says. Excuse me. <clears throat> allergies. I can almost hear Alex referencing the cartoon ghost, hear him mocking my belief that a spirit is residing with us. I know Dad's trying to make me laugh, but the memory of Alex's decision is too raw for hindsight humor. I can't let Dad know, know how stupid Alex makes me feel, so I say, darn straight, and neither could a few dozen donuts. Maybe Shakespeare was right. Maybe everyone is an actor on the world stage. We just let others see us The way we want them to see, not the real us, the demon us with charcoal scars that are too ugly for our fragile eagles to fragile eagles to acknowledge. Okay, let me get a quick drink here. Chapter 14 and uh, moving right along again for everybody. Welcome, my Facebook friends and people on on uh, on uh, YouTube and uh, excuse me, Twitter. It's dry here. People on YouTube and Twitter and uh, TikTok. Who else? Did I have? And Twitch. Thank you. Uh, I'm reading from Ray No Evil," which is the true the true story account of a haunting in the south in the uh, the south part of the U S. And uh, it's based on a true story written by Michelle Zirkel, <clears throat> Just to let you guys know, and I do have permission from the author and publisher to be reading this. And anywhere where there are any ex- really highly explicit parts. I'm skipping, I'm just skipping over just to let you guys know because I don't want to get booted off. I got booted off from TikTok um, the week before last. So we're trying not to do that. So we're in chapter 14. Let us continue, guys. It's Letter linked to Murder. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. A few minutes after getting home, I'm washing dishes when static on the police radio announces Alex's arrival. Hearing the door click shut, I say hello without turning around from the sink. I feel someone's breath on the back of my neck. He greets her. All right. Okay. Move on. I'm still frozen when Alex descends down to the basement. If he could accept me, just love me for who I am, maybe I could let him see the vulnerable me, the me beneath the the hag he sees. But until I feel safe doing that, he'll have to live with the, with the motive emotions I've corralled to protect me. I love him, but I don't love how I feel when I'm around him. Alex strides through the kitchen in boxers and black knee-high socks. Dad's coming shortly, he says. Insulating the attic, he thinks more holes in the soffits will prevent moisture from forming. So we're going to do that too. More holes? I ask, noticing there are only a handful of crackers by the crockpot and hoping there's more in the cabinet. Alex has to have crackers with his chili. Just drill holes out of the ones that's already there, Alex says, munching on a carrot stick. You get a hold of Aunt Claire? Yes, and I called him. I say, hunkering to the cabinet, searching for the saltines. Called who? I peer around at Alex, the priest. Alex stops chewing and scrunches his face. To come get this spirit. What? Alex shouts pointing the carrot at me. You called a priest to come here? He snaps the carrot stick in half. That's it, I've had it. And there it goes, that bit of tranquility I had when he kissed my neck. It didn't last any longer than a fresh-baked cookie and a packed Panera. Alex is going to drill holes in our soffits to prevent water from springing inside our house, and he thinks I'm the crazy one. I nod, and water splats right down the center of the kitchen ceiling. Yes, I say, wondering if that's just if it's just a coincidence that when we argued, the water sprays. Your Aunt Claire suggested it, and you're the one who told me to call her. Alex's face flushes red, and he jabs the broken curate in the air like he's Sir Lancelot, wielding his sword for battle. I did want you to call her, not a priest. He can't comprehend the enemy isn't it me. It's the principalities of the powers of darkness. You know, I would never agree to have a priest come here for a water leak, Alex says. Good Lord, everyone's going to think you're a freak. You're getting stranger every day, Sav. I don't know how much longer I can stay with, with you. Alex slams the cabinet door. Well, I won't be here when, Father, whoever comes. You guys can shower in holy water for all I care. I nestle my trembling hands under the dish towel. Didn't Claire tell you that she thought we should call Father Nick? Heck no. Good God, woman. I come home thinking we'll have a peaceful night and you pull this stuff. You just have to ruin everything. He opens the fridge. I don't suppose you have dinner ready. The crock of chili on the stove looks fuzzy as my eyes fill, but I point toward it and slip unceremoniously to my room to hibernate with my thoughts and my journal. I sit in the corner, pull my legs in tight, close my eyes. Maybe Diane's in a better place than me. Maybe I'd be better off dead. Maybe Alex would feel guilty, and maybe he wouldn't. I doubt he would. In his mind, he is always right, and there's nothing to be sorry for. Remember, guys, on TikTok, if you like what you hear, you like what you see, tap that screen, show me some love, show me some love. Same thing over on Facebook and YouTube. And maybe, you guys, if I get lucky, send me some hand hearts. That'd be cool, too. Let's let's move on. I can't change Alex. Can't change how he makes me feel. But I can enjoy my life anyway. To hell with my hot-headed husband. I'm going to live a little. Have fun with or without him. I click on the first name of my phone's contact list, Adonis, and text. Hey, Joe, want to hook up? Romance and roses I, ne- I neither nor want from him. Those fluffs only men- only mean something to a gal if she knows a guy cares for her when she's fully clothed. Joe tests. I'm up for it. I can kick my roomie out of the apartment tomorrow night. I text. Now it's better. so joe invites her over so okay and she goes to see joe and as i'm backing out of the driveway keegan is securing a ladder that's propped up against the front of the house and alex is shimmying up drill in hand i open the car window and yell up at alex i'm running over to dad's be back in a bit he raises the drill in acknowledgement a delivery truck sits in the road it's blinker on waiting for me to move it's full of insulation that the Michael Holmes wannabes are blowing into the attic for extra insulation. I feel sorry for Alex. He just doesn't want to admit that there are some things he can't control, but he can't control me. If invisible spirits can laugh, the one at my house is chuckling. The entertainment around here is better than Big Bang Theory. (laughs) I drive across the bridge to Mudsock Heights, but Dad's not my destination. I've got a date with the store clerk who's going to ring my bell, not my bill tonight. Okay, so she heads over to Joe's neighborhood. Okay, she gets over to Joe's house. I know Alex isn't going to change. I'm gonna to have to leave him or live this or live this way. I just can't keep sliding into rooms and in shades to feel the only kind of love that's not evasive. Okay, so she gets out of the car, goes into the side door of Joe's house, and they get together. So let me do this. Let's see, okay. Let me get in there. Hang on. Like I said, I'm going to skip stuff because I don't want to have problems. Okay. Just give me a second. Okay. Okay. Like I said, I don't want to have problems on TikTok or anywhere, so. I run to my car in the rain, wishing the drops from heaven could rinse all the bad off me and into the storm during I'm stepping over. But the storm brewing inside me has no easy wind or peaceful flight. Rain pounds my windshield on my day's drive back across the bridge. The joyous feeling of revenge I felt before the interlude seems to have flowed downriver. An unknown number showing on my phone turns out to be Pastor Todd, who says he's calling from a hotel out of town where he's performing the funeral for an old friend who lost his wife to breast cancer. Todd says he's never encountered an evil spirit, let alone had to remove one from someone's house. He suggests that I contact Father Nick. I thank him and don't mention that I already have a date with the dear father. Returning home, I hesitate to enter my hand on the side doorknob. Alex is probably on the last mile of his insulation blowing expedition in the attic. Waves of energy from within the house reverberates through my body as if the knob is an electrical conductor of emotions from inside the house. I step in in and hear angry voices resounding from upstairs and something being dragged across the floor. I barrel up the stairs, taking two at a time. Alex is saying, Isaac, turn that vacuum on and sweep up this mess. Rounding the corner into Ben's room, I see Isaac pulling the sweeper from the closet and Alex stepping from the attic entrance looking like he's the star of a parody of Home Improvement Show. One strap on his faded bib overalls is all that's holding them up and a blob of insulation is holding on to a nipple for dear life. The paint and oil stains on his on his attire blend in with the yellow pieces of insulation covering his entire body. I flop onto Ben's bed and burst into laughter. Alex brushes some of the yellow flecks from his eyes, and he gags out. Then, thanks a lot. Where the heck were you? His anger can't stop my cackling. I'm hysterical, tears flowing onto my knees that are curled in front of me as I laugh at the man who I had promised for better, or the man who I would promised for better or for worse, darn shame! I normally feel better when he feels worse. Isaac turns on the shop vac and begins sweeping as Alex whisks the insulation off with an old shirt, and stomps off toward the bathroom. Ben is staring at me. Couldn't you help Dad once in a while, Isaac? And I have to. My comic relief isn't worth the distressed look in Ben's eyes. From Ben's perspective, I'm sure my laughing at his Dad is simply not nice. Sure, he's 12 and can't relate to the intricate relationship of marriage, but he's 12. He isn't supposed to understand. Ben doesn't know that his dad's labor is a total waste of time. I haven't told the boys the spirit is responsible for the water. I don't want to scare them, but they're going to be here when when father comes, so I might as well tell them now. I stand up and feel... I stand up. If I hadn't been at Paw Paw Cal's, I could have helped, I say, projecting my voice above the hum of the vacuum and feeling and feeling bad for lying about where I was. I pluck a piece of insula- insulation from Ben's head. This, I say, holding the piece up in front of him. This isn't going to stop the leak. You see, babe, a priest will be here next week to pray with us about what's going on here. This water is not normal. Yeah, Dad said, you think there's a ghost throwing the water. Ben rolls his eyes. He thinks He thinks you've lost it. I haven't lost it. God told, God told me a spirit's throwing the water. You know how God gave you a vision about the nail in the tire, I say, holding the ladder and handing it to Ben? That's kind of like how I know. Okay, Ben says, but I'm sick of Isaac sleeping with me every night. He's not sleeping in here tonight. I don't care if there's a ghost in the house. I motioned him to the hallway so I don't have to keep shouting over the vacuum. Ben, weird things keep happening here. I think we're all on each other's nerves. I told Isaac he can keep his TV on, and maybe that'll help him sleep. Alex slips downstairs without a word, and I hear the television kick on. Silence can indeed be golden. Golden. If you like what you hear, tap on that screen. Tap on that screen, please. After I shower, I take graham crackers, marshmallows, and Hershey bars to the boys' rooms, allowing them to melt s'mores over candlelight—a practice usually reserved for power outages. And I tell Isaac I'll give them—I'll give him ten bucks if he'll just stay put in his own bed for one night. I'm sound asleep when I hear Isaac to my left asking me to come with him, and Alex to my right shouting for Isaac to get to to get to bed. Oh my God, does this ever end? I grope for my nightstand and squint to read the time, 10.30 a.m. Isaac's climbing hand wraps around my wrist as he, as he leads me through the dark hallway, stumbling into his room. I peer behind the door where he's pointing. A circle about ten inches in diameter is glowing on the wall under his trophy shelf. I blink, and it's still there. What is it, Mom? Isaac whispers. Is it the ghost? I'm not sure, I say, trying to sound nonchalant. I have to touch this orb. Show Isaac I'm not afraid. So I pray silently, God please protect me, and I flatten my right palm squarely on the circle. I half expect my hand to sink into the wall and disappear, but the wall doesn't suck me in. The the surface is solid. I stare at it a moment and the light fades until it's gone completely. I'm not sleeping in here and I don't care what you say. Isaac opens the door, his door, and steps into the hall. I tiptoe behind him into his brother's room, but Ben's onto us and is already saying, Oh no. Alex yells from our bedroom, Shut up and go to bed. After 10 minutes of explaining that the priest is coming Tuesday and Isaac should be able to sleep in his own room, my Ben throws back the covers. Plants a pillow in the middle of the bed and says, Stay on your side, you big baby. I'm sure Isaac couldn't care less what names he's called, as long as he isn't sleeping by himself in his room. Because that seems more haunted than any of the other rooms in the house, and I can't blame him. Back in my own bed. A loud huff and rollover is my kiss goodnight. I lay listening for the sound of spring water, but the water seems to sleep soundly with a famine. It's as if the demon knows we're sleeping and figures it will leave us the re- rest I and mean, will let us rest, just so we can torture us tomorrow. If you like what you're hearing on Facebook and all every other place, please show me some love. You know, show me some hearts. Show, show me some thumbs up. If you like what you're hearing and you, you like hear, hearing the story, please tap that screen and uh, send and, and send, send and send me some likes and and hearts on TikTok, please. And uh, if you're going to Help me out a little bit, and you know it's it's me and everything. I'm looking for some hand hearts. I'm on the ebb of consciousness when I see a vision directly in front of me. A large black spider is crawling out of Alex's mouth. And I know he's li- he is lying. He is having an affair with Stacy. Friday morning, I get our mail from the mailbox, located on the across the main road. I'm crossing back over while sorting through the stack of correspondence, when my gaze fixates on a grimy white envelope bearing handwritten words Policeman Templeton. No address, no postage stamp. A Bud Light can, can is the usual message pitched out the window toward Taze's mailbox. Not a personalized envelope. I've no doubt that some cretin wants to snitch a secret to Alex. I imagine a dingy maroon sedan with a rusted gut quarter panel, black garbage bag secured by duct tape over the passenger side window, creeping by our house, and a man juts out the window and flings the envelope into our mailbox. An envelope I'm holding in my hand. Linking this letter to that car may be a stretch, since Alpine Road is a common carrier of such a vehicle, but the maroon one is the most notorious for nefarious activity. Alex, even though well-respected, has acquired several enemies in his thirteen years on the force, so the contents of this letter could be dangerous. It could be anthrax powder sprinkled inside, although the idea that someone but go to all that trouble to kill Taze seems extreme, even for my marbled imagination. I pinch my fingers around the envelope. Whatever is in it is flat like paper. I I crunch up the drive and place the intriguing item on the countertop. Wonder if I got time to take a peek inside. Alex will be up soon for his overtime detail. I could steam it and slide a butter knife under the flap, satisfying my curiosity within a few moments, but then I'd have to glue it back so Alex wouldn't know I opened it. Before I decide, a beat for myself displays a text from Ryan. Hey, are you busy later tonight? I figured loves bears. Okay. Ever since Maddie said he's got a girlfriend who works in the hospital, I forced myself not to think about him. I stare into the neighbor's backyard where their where hound, Lazy, is basking in the early rays. Lucky Lazy. No decisions to make other than when to yawn. I have to wonder. Who was going to scratch my belly next? (laughs) I'd be as insane as Alex thinks I am. Can you stop by the bank for me today? I turn to see Alex opening the fridge door. I must be slipping. Didn't hear the stairs creak. While Alex scours for something on the top shelf, I slip my cell into my pocket and point to the mysterious message. This was in our mailbox. Alex glimpses at the envelope. Oh, this is going to be good. He shoves his square hands and is it into Ziploc bags, wearing them like gloves. Rips open the envelope and pulls out a folded sheet of ruled notepaper. Interesting, I say, peeking around his shoulder and reading aloud. Big John killed Hank schooner. The guns in mud run lake. Alex is quiet. What are you thinking, I say? Could be real, he says, scrolling on his cell. So much for an easy overtime detail today. State police will have to be called in for this. Oh, and you touched the envelope, didn't you? Dang it. So I say I didn't know what it was until I sorted the mail. Well he infl- while well, he informs the state police sergeant of the clue, I get the cooler out of the pantry. I'll be out with the dive team at the lake. No checkpoint today, he says, clicking off the phone and placing the letter and envelope in their quarter sized baggie. This better be a good lead. I'll have to get your fingerprints too, because yours will be on the envelope. Deal with that later. I gotta get going. Can you he notices me tucking crackers into a bag. Thanks," he says, and stomps off to the basement. A few minutes later, he reemerges with a gun belt draped over one shoulder, a cell phone squeezed to the other. He orders someone on the other end to meet him at Mud Ram, at Mud Run Lake, ASAP. ASAP. Suddenly, I feel sorry for this man who promised to protect and serve. He doesn't have much time to relax. There's a weariness in his eyes, I haven't noticed before. Spikes of his hair are gray. His bushy eyebrows are, in places standing to attention on either side of a furrow that's permanently present. His career has taken its toll, not just on our marriage, but on him. Maybe I should excuse his his extracurricular jaunt and the skies of ecstasy with with dear squawking raven. If he would treat me with respect, I think at this moment I would forgive him, no questions asked. He slides the gun belt off his shoulder and onto the kitchen table where I'm making sandwiches to add to his stash. He's talking on the phone and tucking his shirt into his pants when an immense stabbing pain sears my foot. I scream and grab my foot, squeezing it as tightly as I can, trying to squeeze it hard enough to stop the the indescribable pain. A gun lies on the floor. Alex's gun broke my foot. I look at Alex, who's waving his hand in the air and shushing me. Maybe it was my contorted face that got his attention. Maybe it was my shrieks that could have raised Lazarus from the grave. But without saying a word, To the person on the other end, Alex sets his phone on the bar and rushes over to where I'm bent over my bashed foot. He scoops up the gun. Man, I bet it's scratched. The pain isn't subsiding. I feel tears running down my cheeks and look up, hoping Alex will see them too. Surely he'll be nice to me now. Alex is caressing his gun. How'd you knock it off? I want to yell. What difference does it make? It hurts. How is this my fault? You've got to be kidding me. But I say it slid. Well, I don't see how, he says, placing the gun on the counter. Sorry, but you shouldn't have. You okay? Let me see. I uncover my swollen right foot, revealing a gigantic turnip-colored bump on the fleshy side of my of my foot. Ice it. That's all you can do. I nod, hoping he's going to get some ice, but his hand is already holding his phone, not an ice bag. Will you be here at two o'clock today? Alex says. Got some guys coming to replace the septic system and dig a new leech bed to stop the commode spraying. They say pressure is building up. I was planning on leaving the checkpoint for an hour and meeting them here, but there's so much stuff going on, and now this letter about a gun in the lake. Sure, I'll be home, I say, opening the freezer and pulling out an ice pack. Alex snaps his keeper shut, plants a kiss on my forehead, grabs his bag of leather and <clears throat> grabs his bag leather and cooler before going li- before going lights and sirens south toward Coral Town to hunt for a murder weapon. I sit in my recliner, prop my foot on ice. Alex really thinks a bigger septic tank is going to stop the commode from being a bidet. He won't even consider that a spirit could possibly be causing the chaos here. I return Ryan's text. Haven't heard from you. Been busy? Natalie was in the hospital with the flu. Oh, hope she's okay. Yeah, she's out. I just got back from a pharmaceutical conference yesterday. Thought you might come over tonight. I can't believe I'm even contemplating meeting him. I just played this game yesterday with Joe and felt horrible. But I've known Ryan for years, and he does care about me. If I ever leave Alex, I have a shot at Ryan. Sure. I'm ready to get rough. I <laughs> feel like a caged animal. Okay. So they make plans. See you at 7. I'll just drive to you in your garage. Okay. Five minutes of ice on my foot seems like 30. I hobble upstairs. Slip on camel undies with pink trim, dab Chanel behind my ear, and squiggle into a miniskirt. I wrap a bandage around the ever growing knot on my foot and snag a pair of flip flops so that I can slide my foot into. The tight bandage relieves the pain enough that I can that, that I think I can manage to push the gas pedal in the car. I rouse the boys and drop them at Keegan's to put finishing touches on their playhouse. Alex asked me to go to the bank, but between the mysterious letter and the gun mishap, I forgot to. He forgot to tell me what the transaction to make, so I pass the bank and I head towards Ryan's. Okay, she goes to Ryan's, so we're going to be skipping there. Okay, so she sees that Main Street is barricaded with buzzing roof reporters and camera crews, each each waiting outside the cordoned area of yellow tape where several paramedics stand behind the ambulance. Seems like every police officer in the emergency vehicle in Wooten County is surrounding the only hotel in town. The officers don't have their guns drawn. They're just milling around, glancing toward a window in an upper story of the room. From my position, in the long line of traffic, I'm not close enough to read the unit numbers on the cruiser, so I'm not sure if Alex is here. But my bet is he is. He's always in the middle of the action, and usually the first one through any barricaded door. I'm wondering if the activity here is related to the letter this morning. Maybe they found the gun and have, uh, have suspect have the suspect quarantined. When shots rang out, I don't know which direction they came from, but I'm guessing from inside the hotel, as badges and barrels gleaming. In synchronicity with the swirling lights, point toward the historic building. Within minutes, a swap team member beckons the paramedics to the hotel's front door. The scene must be secured. So two paramedics go in, and they got a stretcher. I say I say a quick prayer for whoever just got shot, and and for whoever whoever did the shooting. Before backing into the nearest driveway. Within minutes, the SWAT team member beckons the paramedics. Okay, I'm just sitting around. Stretcher jostles over. Okay, around town. Driveway. Okay, before backing into the nearest driveway, I'm worming my way around town. So she heads over to Ryan's. So, okay. So we're going to get away from the Ryan thing. The needless to say, they get together, so you can use your imagination for the rest of that. Okay. And let's see, we're going to skip over all that. The first thing the kids will want to know when they scramble into the car at Keegan's is what's for dinner. So obviously she's left Ryan's. What's for dinner? So as I pull out of Ryan's garage, I order pizza. Our first pizza delivery to the house on Alpine Road was a monumental moment of liberation from the isolation of country living. With a warm box delivered right to my front door, the world seemed to be at my fingertips. The first such delivery was on a snowy December night, eight years ago when we moved into the house, that solidified a new beginning for Alex and me, a fresh, wholesome beginning infused with love and tenderness. I sat on the side of Alpine Road in my car, stacked with boxes, and watched through tears of happiness as family and friends unloaded furniture from the U-Haul. I believed the traditional stick-built house would support not only his it has its own walls, but would dissolve the walls that separated Alex and me. But that didn't happen. And now I'm speeding away from my lovers towards an uncertain future. As I'm pulling up the land of Keegan's, Alex calls. He's processing paperwork on some guy who got apprehended at the hotel. So what happened? I say, I saw the a barricade. Let's see. The guy, according to Alex, there was a robbery at the Go Mart and he was holed up at the hotel. Okay. Okay. Oh, I just had to return a library book, I say. Apparently Alex asked her where she's been. So she says, oh, just had to return a library book. I say, glad he doesn't pay any more attention to my books than he does to my feelings. So how did you get him out? So Alex describes, hand the guy a cigarette and then grab, grab for the gun. And that was it. Okay. Oh, wow, I say, glad you're okay. How's Pete? He's being transferred to Columbus. Gotta have reconstructive surgery and intense therapy. Hey, I gotta go see you this evening, Alex says, as the boys pile on the car. And, Sav, I love you. Love you, I say, pointing to Isaac's unfastened seatbelt. The boys talk over each other, telling me of new windows they helped Keegan install and how hooking hooking up the electric is next on the list. My mind drifts from their chatter. Alex is using charm today. Maybe he saw his demon in the mirror. During his morning shave. If there's one inside me, then Alex must have one too. The vision of the black insect full of lies crawls out of his mouth crawling out of his mouth is still crystal clear. I lie too. But at least but at least I lie with strangers, not his friends. Maybe it was his brush with the madman's gun that got him all sentimental. Whatever the reason he said it, he said it. And dang it, I almost wish he hadn't. Makes me feel even, even guiltier. Alex says love like a dog looks a wound, quickly to get it over with. And Ryan used the word casually like it's insignificant. I know that just because Ryan says he loves my wild side doesn't mean he loves me. But I feel more at ease with him than I do with Alex, and Alex does say he loves me. I feel like a mermaid luring my husband into a false sense of security, acting like things between us are sublime when actually death is waiting in the waves, the death of us but i have to maintain the pretense that i'm fine even though i'm not with each notch notch in my tarnished bedpost or picnic table or wherever i just numbed myself i feel like i parcel off bits of my soul like the incomprehensible like incomprehensibly tiny cells that make me who i am are suspended are suspended in midair out of my reach and i must function with bare bones and a smile at home, I smack a 20 on the counter, instructing Ben to listen for the pizza delivery. I limp upstairs, my injured foot throbbing, and after showering showering away some of my shame, expel some of what remains in my, into my journal. Ben yells up that the workers are here about the septic tank, so I run downstairs and give them to the go-ahead to do whatever it is they need to do. They can dig up the whole darn yard for all I care. Unless they're the Ghostbusters, their efforts will amount to nothing that they, that will amount to the stuff they're pumping out from the tank. It's pretty funny. I'm swiping the duster along the shelf on Isaac's room, light on the touch between miniatures, motorcycles, T-ball trophies, when I notice the shattered glass globe resting at Mickey Mouse's arms. The souvenir from Disney stands about six inches tall, the famous mouse cradling the snow globe that now looks like cracked glass. Smashing my hand to my gaping mouth, I stand staring at the globe that, although shattered to pieces, remains intact. The surrounding knickknacks are undisturbed, and no shards litter the the shelf or the floor. There's no way that what I'm seeing is possible. If Isaac had dropped it or broken it, glass would be everywhere. I wonder if this could have just happened. Keep tapping that glass. If you you like this book, tap that glass. Tap that glass. I'm sorry. Tap the phone. See, I'm reading the glass. Tap, tap that screen. Tap that screen. I wonder if this could have just happened, or if it's been broken and I haven't noticed. With several items perched on the shelf, it would be easy to overlook. My eyes tra- traverse the room as I wonder if the demon is, a, is the culprit. Could it show up and entertain me, possibly repair the globe right in front of me, or surprise me and explode the television? Hobbling on my sore foot to the top of the stairs, I yell for Isaac, but there's no answer. I find him on the side porch dangling a doggy snack above Lazy's head and pleading with him to roll over. I plop onto the concrete steps beside Isaac and notice Ben standing in the yard watching the workers hooking hooking some contraptions into the ground. Lazy's got you begging, I say, ruffling Isaac's hair. Thought it was supposed to be the other way around. Yeah, right, Isaac rolls his eyes. Your foot better? Yep, I'm going to live. I smile as Isaac waves the treat again. Think he's going to do it? I asked just as Lazy jumps and nabs was a snack. Awesome, Isaac says, scrounging in the bag for another bone. You see that, Mom? I did, I say, reaching over Isaac's knee and scratching Lazy's almond coat. I must be good luck. Uh, honey? Can you come inside a sec? I need to show you something. Isaac follows me into his bedroom where I point to the glass anomaly. Any idea how that happened, I say? Isaac's mouth falls open. He looks at me and back towards the shelf Stepping close to the globe. Who broke it? That's what I'm asking you. I haven't even been upstairs, he says, obviously still mesmerized by the sight of it. How's it staying together? I don't know that either, I say. So you never noticed it was broken. The tears in his eyes look like they're going to spill on any minute. I don't want him to be upset. But it's not just a broken piece of glass to him. It's a keepsake from our vacation to Disney a few years ago. Alex helped him pick it out when we went to Animal Kingdom, and Isaac sh- shaking it before bed every night and made a wish. I hug his shoulders in- into my belly. The only thing we can do is just pitch it. I know it was special to you, but we can get another one. I snap a few pictures with my phone just in case it falls apart before Alex gets home to see it. Just leave it like that for now, and I'll get it cleaned up. I don't want you getting cut. Okay, Mom, Isaac says, hanging his head. When Alex pulls in at 3.30, the old septic tank is being loaded into a truck. I hug Alex and kiss him on the cheek. So, busy day for you, huh? You even have time to look for the gun? I didn't. But Gilmore stayed with the dive team, Alex says, laying his gun on the microwave. Steady, I tell myself. Alex doesn't know how I spent my afternoon. The demon in the mirror may. But Alex doesn't know that. While he was wrestling a guy with a gun, I was... Scrooge, the daredevil who led the emergency crews on a wild goose chase for two days when he jumped off the bridge in the dead of night last summer. Okay. While Alex and the other officers, along with the Coast Guard, dredged the river. Ryan was drinking a beer on the veranda. Alex didn't see the humour in the prank. And Ryan should have to repay should have to repay for the county for the emergency workers overtime. The one link Hank had with the mafia, Alex says, is conveniently out of town. You know where he might be? I asked, placing cold pizza on the plate. He's got family in Kentucky. Stranding's Strand on it. Oh, and Barbara's out already. Made bail. Will I need to go stay at Dad's again? Alec rolls my back and kisses me on the forehead. No. He knows if someone just comes near us. I'll, I'll take care of it. Okay. How many pieces do you want? Honey, I'm taking you out. Alec brushes his thumb across my cheek. I still owe you that birthday dinner. The ice is broken between us. Now, if I can just keep it thawed. Okay, we're up to chapter 15. That's it for tonight. We went a little over my usual. But I want to thank everybody for coming. And let me click on over onto StreamYard here so I can talk to everybody. Hey, everybody. Okay, there we go. And, uh, yeah, so we're up to chapter 15. And uh, I hope you guys liked it. Uh, We do this for everybody on TikTok who doesn't normally come and everybody else who doesn't normally come. We do this every Sunday at 6:30 p.m. Pacific. Read from a uh, paranormal themed book, and uh, with permission from the author and publisher, of course. And I hope you guys liked it. It's, it's, you know, it's different. It's just a nice way to start the week, have dinner, you know, listen to something. But again, there were parts of the book that I had to skip over and filter over because obviously, it just wasn't good family stuff, as they say. Okay, tomorrow uh, again, we I do a regular talk show all week and so between tomorrow and friday got a lot of guests lined up tomorrow is danny for goldie and he is a uh, minister who does demon work to uh, you know, expel demons out of people's houses and he has got some demon voice recordings that he's going to be sharing with the audience uh for everybody on tiktok i can't do it on tiktok because i don't have the stuff designed to do it yet i'm working on getting it But um, what you can do is watch it over on our YouTube page, uh, the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team YouTube page, which you can get to at youtube.com forward slash California Haunts Radio, at California Haunts Radio. So you can get it that way. And we are on the air every evening at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So that's the way to do that. I want to thank you all for coming. And everybody over at Facebook and everywhere, everybody that came tonight, I appreciate it. I know it's Mother's Day. So I know everybody's busy having their dinners and taking mom out to dinner and whatever else. So uh, I really appreciate you all showing up. And again, my name is Charlotte, and I am the host of this show. And uh, I want to thank you all for coming. Now, if you like the show, and this goes for TikTok too, share it with five people. Um, We're trying to get the word out, trying to get as many followers as possible. Because we're trying to build this thing up. Um, You know, we're doing really good so far. And we not only have this feed, but we also have our RSS feed, which goes out to um, all the... uh, Places like like Apple Radio and and uh, tune you know tune in and all those places. So as soon as I get done with this, the recording will go over there. So we're going we're reaching a lot of people now, and I'm really excited with it. So uh, again, I want to thank you all for coming. I <clears throat> I do appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. Anyway, I will see you guys uh, the rest of you tomorrow, and hopefully some of you from TikTok join me over on YouTube at the California Haunts YouTube. So I'll see you guys tomorrow and uh, have a great rest of your weekend.